Hallie. Hey, Julie. Welcome to episode 30 of the Rise for Educators podcast. I'm Julie. And I'm Holly. We are sister-in-laws and instructional coaches who decided to take our conversations out of the corner of our family gatherings and put them into a podcast. We are excited to be here with Will Yang today, who is the Chief Marketing Officer from a company called Albert. I came across this website when I was looking for information about parent-teacher conferences. Um, One of my teachers had requested it, and I was kind of blown away. There were so many awesome resources on this site with tons of great dynamic videos, and it just made me really curious about the creators and the company. And I think in our world today, when everybody's diving into the virtual world and virtual teaching at warp speed, um, kind of as a means for survival, Will's company is a great go-to because it has so many awesome resources. So we're really excited to be here with Will today um, to talk about Albert and his journey uh, informing it. So thanks so much for joining us, Will. Thanks for having me, you guys. Okay, Will, can you start by just telling us about your company? Sure. So Albert provides interactive learning content for middle school through high school students to help them master the content that they're learning in school. So pretty much we give a series of practice questions along with detailed explanations for every single question um, to help students figure out where they're going, doing things really well and where they could be doing things better. And then what we then do is we deliver that data back to the educator so that they can better inform their instruction and provide data-driven instruction for their students. Um, So it's really a all-in-one curricular supporting tool for teachers to save themselves time. And then on the other side of things with administrators, we essentially provide all that teacher and student data for the administrator to see how we're actually being used in the classroom. So that's one of the big distinguishing factors is that an administrator can actually invest in our platform and see the results as to whether or not students are using it on a daily basis. Okay, and you cover all subjects, right? Yeah, we cover the bulk of of middle school and high school curriculum. So we started out in the AP space years ago, and that's where we gained our recognition. Um, In our earliest days, we were known as Learnerator, and we did a little rebrand a few days after that. Um, But pretty much we stemmed out from the AP space to general test prep, and then from general test prep to all common core state standards. And then we've started to specialize into specific states today, such as the New York Regents exam, as well as the STAR exam in Texas. Um, And then we're continuing to add to those supports in the coming years um, as we are expanding our content curriculum coverage. But essentially the end goal is that we will be able to take in a learner from, you know, when they're very young to all the way through high school so that there's a continuous, a continuous, a continuous process uh, for, for them in terms of the learning platform that they're using. So you are planning on expanding it because right now you're mostly focused on middle school and high school, but am I hearing you say that you're planning on expanding it um, downward through the elementary Great. Eventually. I mean, right now we definitely have a lot of work to still do in the middle school space. Uh, that's still something that's a, a grassroots movement for our organization. Um, but there can be a time and place definitely in which like we would span the whole spectrum of things. We started really with the hardest subjects because we think that it's really easy to start a company behind, you know, more elementary level products when it comes to supplemental instruction, but it's much harder to create content around like calculus or, you know, pre-calculus, trigonometry, etc. And so 
by starting really hard, it became a competitive advantage for us because a lot of vendors don't have those sorts of, you know, difficult questions, the rigor that students need to experience when it comes to those higher level courses. So I'm curious, um, so you were an economics major at Northwestern, is that correct? I think I saw that on your, on mm -hmm. the Albert website. So how did you end up in these, this education world? Yeah, so my journey starts probably in my sophomore year of college. I had started another education startup at that time with uh, with an old friend of mine, and we essentially made one of the earliest massive open online courses for college admissions. So I had recognized that there was a gap in the marketplace when it came to uh, providing students with guidance to the college admissions process without the private college consultant price tag. And so I wanted to democratize that a little bit. And then from there, caught the attention of my CEO and my co-founder at Albert. Um, so we actually were part of the same student-run group at Northwestern, and it was a shipping and storage company. Uh, so we had a kind of a weird intercrossing of our pathways, but essentially that summer afterwards, uh, he came to me and he was like, hey, we're both interested in education. We both want to make an impact in education. I'd be, I'd be interested if you'd be interested in teaming up. And so um, I, I, uh, we always joke about this looking back, but I played hard to get for a little bit. And then <laughs> I came back to him a little bit later and I said, you know, sounds good. Let's, let's do this. And so uh, by the time that it was around my junior year or so of college, I essentially was working on Albert's part-time after my classes and whatnot. And then I accelerated my graduation from Northwestern and then went full-time of it in the beginning of 2015. And then the rest is kind of history. We're now a team of 40 out of Chicago. Uh, we are a distributed team or increasingly distributed team in these times. So uh, we're all kind of all over the place in the United States now, but um, that's really how it all began. Is it all began with just a passion towards education. It's something in which my family is, you know, I'm a second generation American. And so education has always been a really important part of my life. And so uh, it's something in which I've always been connected to the educational scene of things. And I've always wanted to make an impact there. That's so interesting. And, you know, it's interesting that you started in like kind of the college prep sort of, you know, lane, but now we've kind of switched to this whole, whole like kind of forced to be switched to the whole virtual world. And I know like I ran across um, your company because of your blog posts that we're talking about, like connecting to teachers uh, or parents during conferences. And I saw there were a whole bunch of other ones. Like, how do you see now that you've kind of like lived in this world and maybe expanded from the college prep, how do you see the teaching world or the teaching profession changing based on this current pandemic? So I think that these changes were already gradually happening in the last few years, but they've simply been accelerated forward. In other words, if you follow the trends of just broadband access across schools, um, there has been a rapid increase of you know, the availability of the internet to students. And so with that, that has led to more and more teachers being open to new pathways as to how to engage and reach their you know, modern student. And so creating, creating engaging ways to engage with those students today requires technology in many ways. And so I think the way that this pandemic is currently changing the teaching profession is that it's simply making it so that if you're an educator that was on the fence as to introducing more education technology into your classroom, you now no longer have the choice, right? It used to be you can make the choice where it was like, 
I still have the way that I've done it the last five to seven years and it works. And so I can still do that, but now you can't do that. And so I think that that has forced a lot of, you know, fundamental adaptation, survival, so to speak, of adapting to the needs of the modern day student and also of schooling and how schedules are working out. And so I think that what it's currently challenging educators to rise up to is to continue to adapt the way that they were already adapting because there was already a big movement of educators that were becoming increasingly digital. They were creating Google Classrooms websites, they were creating teacher websites, they were posting assignments online, but now they're being forced to think about how do I make sure that in the 40 to 55 minutes that I have with a student every day that the student is largely still with me for the bulk of that time period, right? And so I think that that is a different skill set than you know the traditional educator in the sense that when you're in a classroom you have you have your presence you have your body language you have the ability to see students in person and read that um, now you have to kind of take it to a whole other level which is you have to be in tune with just being efficient with your time right if you want to have a separation between your work life and your personal life you have to be able to efficiently schedule virtual parent teacher conferences you have to be able to be efficient in how you're delivering feedback to students, parents, and so on. And so I think the biggest things that it's requiring educators to do is to really think about, you know, how they can level up their technological competency, as well as find the handful of tools that will really save them a lot of time and, and stress um, in their day-to-day, -day, you know, remote learning world. Um, I think that even, you know, regardless of vaccine news, et cetera, it's, this is something that's going to be happening in the next few years, regardless of you know, how this pandemic continues to play out. It's something which will require us to rethink the way that we use technology on a regular basis with students. And it's also just something that happens to you know, coalesce as well with students who uh, grew up in the digital age, right? Everybody grew up with a smartphone or an iPad. And so we have to find ways to get them to engage with that sort of content because that's the way that they are used to seeing things. Right. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, the efficiency part really rings true because, and also that it, it really has blurred the boundary between your home life and your work life when you're at home and you're working. And it's, it's a, like you said, it's a whole different skill set for teachers. Um, and Holly and I are instructional coaches. So we're kind of living like working with teachers who are just sort of trying to assimilate to this, this new world and, and, and develop these skills. Where do you see this going? Like where, like ideally, even though of course we don't want to be in a pandemic, but this has accelerated um, technology use uh, with teachers. What, I mean, Albert is this online platform. Um, ideally, what do you see um, like a school space, virtual versus in-person, you know, without the pandemic, what would your, what is your vision? I think that obviously in-person instruction is really important. And I think that there will always be a, a place and a time for it as well. Um, hopefully we can get to a place where that is safe on, on a daily basis, um, just because you know the research shows consistently mm -hmm. that just having an actual educator who cares about a student and is actively engaging with that student, able to see them in the classroom. And you know, there's always situations outside of classroom that teachers can't control within the family lives of different students and, and whatnot. So I think that in-person instruction will always be really important. I think that what this pandemic will introduce more and more of is um, how teachers choose to create homework in the future and how teachers 
used to create assessment in the future. In other words, if teachers were still using those old test banks that were shared between departments for decades on end, I think that those are going to be modernized and they're all going to be digitized. Um, and I think that those are already if not already in the process, it's going to be by the end of this year, and those will start to be reused in a digital sense moving forward. Um, and I think that there's just going to be new efficiencies that are introduced to a teacher's workload in which for the schools and the departments that are embracing technology today, they will be able to see significantly higher returns in terms of the ability to differentiate their instruction simply because they have digitized, you know, a lot of the components of their curriculum. Mm -hmm. If you are a math department and from grades 6 through 12, you are able to consistently you know, provide a continuous uh, expectation and, and delivery mechanism for like the way that your assessments are done, that will give you really sound data going into the next cohort of students that you can then work with and continue to work with and so on. Whereas a school that's still in that transition phase will have to grapple with the in-person versions of that you know, assessment and the digital versions. And so I think that ultimately my ideal world would be one in which the educator is still able to work with the student in a face-to-face -face manner, but they're able to use online platforms to essentially, essentially make it so that there's a quick snapshot of how students are doing on a regular basis. And those snapshots allow you then to, in your next in-person session with that student, provide a more personalized experience. In other words, we have a very strong stance at Albert that we never want to create an adaptive learning platform. And the reason why is because we think that there's no real way that you can replace an educator or the touch of an educator. An educator ultimately knows what's best for their students, but what tools can do, what tools like Albert can do and ed tech tools in general can do when they're positioned properly is that they can, they can save the teacher time and allow them to uh, draw insights about their classroom that they might have to spend hours to do themselves. In other words, if I can tell that Sally struggled with this topic area and that Tim also struggled with this topic area, I can potentially work with them one-on-one -on -one in a small group setting as opposed to, you know, just blasting this entire message that doesn't resonate with all my students and so on. Mm -hmm. And so in an ideal world, I think that tools help educators draw those insights faster and it makes an educator more data-driven in the way that they, you know, that they drive their outcomes and also just how they build their classroom culture, how they teach students about their own performance from a growth mindset. Um, and I think that it'll just lead to better outcomes overall in terms of learning outcomes for students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I think. You know, one of the things when I was looking at your resources for parent teacher conferences, um, one of the things that I loved in one of your videos was something that talked about really the main purpose of parent teacher conference is, is um, building relationships. And I think that really stuck with me because so oftentimes as teachers, we go into these conferences and like, you know, our purpose is to share the information with parents and kind of give them a snapshot of their child. But I think putting that at the forefront, like building relationships, um, I think frames it in kind of a different way. And, and especially in this world where everybody's probably needing a little bit more connection, um, I can see that being really powerful. So you had some really awesome tips um, can you share some of those with us as far as how to connect with parents um, during uh, virtual parent-teacher conferences or even students at that, at that rate? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I want to share about the resources that, you know, you guys have been referencing is we design these resources thinking about how to provide actionable strategies for an educator that were not being covered by the main 
education um, news networks. In other words, uh, I feel like there's a lot of content articles that just talk about the challenges of virtual learning, but they don't actually stop, talk about the specific strategies that an educator can take. So I actually, in outlining these with my team, made sure that every single piece of um, of each resource, back to school resource, has an actual takeaway. So um, one of the biggest things that I think is helpful in that relationship building phase for parents is there's the idea that we introduced called like the one page quick reference sheet that details the student data, progress, and skills. Uh, just doing some prep work ahead of that parent, virtual parent-teacher conference. And the reason why is just because it kind of goes back to when you think about, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives as adults, we have these meetings, and the meetings that we hate are the ones where we have no agenda, we have no idea what's going to happen coming in or out of that meeting, we just know that we have a meeting on the calendar, right? And so just by taking a few extra seconds for an educator to prepare a prep sheet for that virtual parent-teacher conference and setting that a few days in advance is a great way to just demonstrate to the parent, hey, I really care about your student, I, here's what I'm already observing, and I'd love to use this prep sheet as the launch pad for our conversation and just prepare us for you know a productive adult conversation about those sorts of things so that's one of the biggest things that i think that um, is really helpful from a virtual parent teacher sense of things i think another thing in general is just talking about uh, having a little bit of a preview period for the parent to share any potential concerns or feedback that they want to share from the things that they've heard from the students so for example you can send in your scheduling email with that parent um, a few starter questions that you might want to ask the parent, which is like, you know, have you heard of anything from XYZ student that might be helpful to make sure that our conversation is productive so that I'm meeting the needs of your student. Um, I think that ultimately parents today, you know, they value so much that the dedication of the educators and serving the needs of their students every single day and what they want to just make sure that is happening is that like students are still a learning but b that students are feeling comfortable and safe in you know these virtual environments and that they're being you know they're they're truly being seen by their teacher um, and so i think that i think that anything that can be can demonstrate those sorts of actions towards um Towards a, towards a student's parent will essentially lead to a very naturally productive conversation. And at that point, it's really as simple as um, just like pandemic 101, right, which is just checking in with people. And that's really the core of it, which is just understanding that everyone is human here. We're all trying our best right now. And, um, and as long as we come from that place, um, most conversations are going to be very productive, uh, as long as it's framed from the sense of like, it's from the best of intentions. Um, and so those are those are two of the big tips. And then I think the other tip that I also included was just making sure that in the case where the parent does have some concerns and you're a little nervous because it might be a more problematic relationship that you have with a student, um, just prefacing that, you know, an administrator would be totally fine to join in on the conversation or to get clearance from a department head or somebody that can also be there uh, just to make the parent comfortable. And I think that those are some of the starting tips that would really make a big difference when it comes to these virtual parent-teacher conferences. Mm -hmm. So it looks like Holly came across this information through a blog. So, and I know you partner with schools and districts. Um, it, how can a teacher access resources and how can a district, what is the kind of the two different or areas of uh, resources that people can find? Yeah, absolutely. So the ref the resources that Holly's referencing are actually 100% free. 
all you need to do is you can just search albert.io back to school resources. We made a collection of, I believe, 12 or so resources. They range from a comprehensive list of helpful educational websites to breakdowns of how to build relationships virtually with students, how to conduct virtual parent-teacher conferences. One of the best parts about our virtual parent-teacher conference resource is that that prep sheet I referenced, we actually provide you with a free template that you can just download. There's no opt-in. You literally just click it. It's a Google Doc. You can copy it. Um, just feel free to use that. And uh, we also provide a ton of helpful YouTube videos that are video format of these sorts of resources as well in case you're more of a visual person. Um, but yeah, pretty much if you search for back to school resources, albert.io, you can access that. Uh, you can also find them, actually, I think, I believe as of the time of this recording, if you just search, you know, how to how to do virtual parent-teacher conferences. We're on page one of Google for that resource. And so um, I think that's, that's not how I thought to do. <laughs> I think that's yeah. how I would Hello, Google. <laughs> but yeah, you have well, you have so many awesome resources on that blog. And I love what you said that like you're really trying to look at things that other people aren't doing and giving teachers really concrete strategies. Like there are 10 co-teaching strategies for remote learning. I haven't seen anything. I've been searching for a lot of information. I haven't seen anything on that so that's totally new as well as just some like different tips you know for teaching remotely um distance learning schedules back yeah i mean just tons of awesome stuff how to build relationships virtually so i love that you're coming kind of from this angle of we know that these are things that are going on and a lot of people are offering supportive words but but you're offering really supportive strategies. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And it goes all the way down to actual, actual question stems that you can use. So for example, I'm just pulling up the virtual parent teacher conferences resource here. And I, I even have a section here in which we are referencing the questions that you can ask you know, um, a, a parent in your conversation. So for example, have you noticed any new developments in student behavior at home? Or would you like to share any other challenges that student might be experiencing that I'm unaware of? So these are the things in which we literally want to make it as you know, stress lifting as possible for an educator, just because what, what I noticed before the start of the back to school season was that there was just a ton of resources talking about remote learning and the wave of remote learning, but it was just almost impossible to piece together an actual strategy as to how to approach this on a, a strategic and tactical level. Um, and so that's something that we really, really wanted to emphasize. Um, so I would highly encourage you to check those out. Like I said, they're 100% free. We don't stand to gain anything from these resources aside from just helping our educators. Um, but I know that these have really impacted a lot of teachers because it's been all over Twitter and whatnot. So um, I highly encourage you to check those out. It's something in which with the high school distance learning schedules resource, for example, we actually researched and did deep dives into about 15 to 20 different school systems and the way that they're approaching distance learning resources. And we essentially compiled that into our resource to give you the best takes on you know, remote learning in case you're an administrator that's still trying to figure things out and whatnot. Um, so hopefully we saved you guys a couple a couple hours there of having to you know piecemeal something together. And you did for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're really and I I I have the same experience when you start to look for information. There's just so many articles that just kind of gloss over the what's happening. But it sounds like you're really giving like how do you do this? Like actually how do you do this? <laughs> and like how do you do this tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 there's so many articles that go along the lines of make sure you're checking with students, for example, yes. and that will be the extent of the list. Mm -hmm. um, whereas uh, we are taking it from the standpoint of here are three actions that you can do to, you know, start checking in with students. Actually, something that I'm really excited to release that um, I can follow up with you guys in a little bit, but I'm working on a a tool, an app that will allow teachers to discover new teaching strategies based off of different aspects of in-person and remote learning. And it'll essentially be kind of like Reddit for teachers in which they'll be able to discover from a list of 100, more than 100 teaching strategies, different strategies that they can start implementing in their classroom. And so my team is compiling these um, because I think that at this point in time in the school year, Teachers have more than enough lists of resources, but what they need now is they need the student engagement pieces of, you know, Zoom, combating Zoom fatigue and dealing with how do I actually mix things up so that my students are still paying attention to me as I'm working through XYZ new unit or challenge in my classroom. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I think is your, so does your team then essentially, I noticed your team, your, your, not educators, you're, it sounds like you're researchers who are curating from just everywhere and really kind of like getting right down to the nitty gritty of how to do this? Or like what so do you look I, for in the yeah. people in your company, in your team? So our team is actually largely educators. They're former oh, yeah. educators. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the bulk of our company is former educators. Um, I myself am not an educator. That being said, my mom was a teacher, but um, my team of my team of, of writers, in terms of the content we create on our blog, are all are all within the education. Oh, they are okay, well. okay. Yeah, and so that definitely helps as well. And then um, I have a second kind of quality control team within our content team, and essentially make sure that um, it's on par with you know what to expect. And then I also have running partnerships and relationships with different um, education influencers, so to speak, that I give a preview of what we're working on and then get their feedback on that just to make sure that it's really resonating. Um, but yeah, we definitely, we definitely are very big on research, but we also are definitely very closely connected still from an educational standpoint um, in what we're doing there. Yeah. Well, I think there's a huge market for um, getting together tools for teachers to use virtually. And I feel like Julie and I are both on these instructional coaching teams. And I think that's what we're kind of scrambling to come up with. Um, but to have such good work, and that's what I've seen really in the resources that you guys really, um, you do a really nice job of, of putting together and organize uh, list and, and concrete tips. So I think, um, yeah, I think you're definitely a company to watch. Um, Will, is there anything else that we, you want teachers to know about Albert? Uh, the biggest thing that I would share is that if you are looking for a supplemental curriculum, uh, for practice reasons or simply getting more data about your students. We have a pilot program that allows schools to try us for free for 30 days. There is no obligation to purchase this at the end of those 30 days. It's simply a pilot to see if it's a good fit for both the school as well as for us. And pretty much I'd encourage you to apply to that um, if you haven't already. Uh, you can access it from going to the back to school resources. It's at the beginning or end of each of the resources. And then I can also provide you guys with a follow-up link. Um, but pretty much that's one of the biggest ways that schools and educators get convinced on us is that they just try us out and they let the product speak for itself. Um, and so that's my biggest parting, parting piece. And then I'd also say that if you're an individual teacher and you know, 
know you are also interested, you can feel free to check out our website. Uh, we do have teacher licenses for individual teachers if they don't have um, the same level of support from a, from a school level. So those would be my two last pieces of uh, parting thoughts. There. And maybe parents too. I was I would think you know with all the um, college uh, test prep. I know Julie and I have just gone through that because we both have uh, kids that are either going to college or have already gone. And I think parents would see that as a really great resource too. So yeah. um, anyway, thank you so much for joining us today, Will. I, I can't tell you how, how interesting this was and we really appreciate the time. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.